there is hope and don't push each other away because you need your family. You need your support system walking this journey. You cannot do it by yourself if you're not in therapy. Um, that's something you're going to have to look inside yourself. You know, not everybody's ready for therapy at the same time. Uh, but I encourage you seek therapy and hold on to your family. I want you to imagine getting a message on social media that your child has been murdered, not really knowing how to process it, if it's true or if it isn't true, just knowing that there's a wave of emotions going through you. Then all of a sudden, detectives show up at your door. Today we have a story heartfelt of a young man, Jaquez Anlich, and his mother that we would like to make sure that we tell you. Crystal, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Um, why don't we let everyone know exactly who you are and the things that you're working on, and then we're going to go into Jaquez, okay? Okay. Um, my name is Crystal Anledge. My husband, Matthew, and I run the Jacksonville Survivors Foundation. Um, it was founded last year. Um, I am also a victim advocate with Project Cold Case um, in the Jacksonville area. Um, I feel called to service families of homicide victims. Okay. All right. So what we want to do, we want to let people also know um, you you actually um, adopted Jaquez, correct? Yes, ma'am, I did. My husband and I started that journey in 2015. Um, we fostered him um, and a couple of his siblings. Um, Jaquez really attached himself to our family. Um, and, he, you know, he... He, he wanted nothing more than to have a mom and a dad. Um, he lost his mom at a young age. Um, so giving him the opportunity to have a family is probably one of the greatest joys of my life. Right. You know, he was 15 when you actually started fostering him. And, and you know, most people won't take in kids that age. So he must have really made a big impression on, on you guys. From the moment I saw his picture. Right. The absolute moment I saw his picture, um, my husband and I felt it. And then we got to start communicating with him. And um, we realized, like, you know, we had a lot of things in common, especially Jacquez and I. Um, and, you know, he loved, like most men, young boys love sports. And he he definitely found the right family with us. Right, right. So at, at what moment did you, you, did you know that, hey, this kid has to belong to us forever now. Um, it was pretty much from the the get-go. Okay. We, we had so many conversations on the phone in the beginning, just talking about life and things that we like to do. And um, he, you know, he matched our energy and he was just so eager to have a family. Um, he had spent quite a bit of time in foster care, in and out of foster care, but the last time was um, over 1,300 days. Wow. All right. So 
most of the time when when um we have homicide victims we don't get a chance to see exactly who they are you know the the news sometimes they only give a certain amount of time for you to do interviews so we don't get to see who who the people really are and i want you to kind of let us know the what you describe him as he was funny he was kind he was smart. Um, he was very outgoing and very handsome. Um, he loved his animals more than anything. Um, what kind of animals? Them. So we have dogs and we have a cat. So he loved, I could go looking for the animals at some point during the day or in the evening when he was home and they would all be piled up with him in his bed. <laughs> Um, he loved football. He played football in high school. Okay. Um, and he liked going to church. I was um, very heavily involved in youth ministry when he first came into our house. So um, he pretty much jumped right in from the moment he came home. And what do you think his friends would describe him as? Kind-hearted, loyal, funny um could have been a little bit of a troublemaker definitely a ladies man <laughs> um he was beautiful so people took notice of that and that he was very tall <laughs> okay so it i'm i'm pretty sure at one point you had to get some type of call or message about the night of can we go so, into that? I can. Um, it actually happened in the very early morning hours on a Saturday. Okay. Um, he had been out of our house for about two months. You know, as an almost 21-year-old man, he wanted to be on his own. So you can't really stop them at that age. Right, right. Um, we don't really know anything other than early morning around 6 30 um someone actually shot and killed him and the way I found out is about two hours later somebody a person I didn't know messaged me on Instagram and said you know I didn't know who else to call um but I see he tags you on social media a lot um Jacquez was murdered and that's all they said to me and I tried to video call this person. I tried to message them back and they wouldn't respond. Um, I thought that somebody was playing a joke on me. Right, right. So I called my husband absolutely panicking. And he told me I needed to call uh, the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office, not emergency number, because we weren't sure. So I did that. Um, and then about a half an hour later, um, JSO showed up at our house um two did detectives you know, did you know then did you kind of feel that something might have at that point or were you still still like I'm not gonna want to I don't want to face that no I knew why they were there I was in my front yard actually um with my niece and my husband was on his way home from work and I was talking to my sister-in-law <laughs> um when they pulled up and I knew why they were there. 
Um, I just had a sinking feeling when I saw the, the detective's car pull up and then they started asking me questions, you know, did he have tattoos? Um, how could we, how, you know, or were there ways that I could identify him? Cause this is also during COVID. Right. COVID is, had just really started being a huge thing at this point. Um, so that's how we identified him to begin with. And once, you know, I verified some of his tattoos, um, the detective began to tell me, um, what had happened except for they don't know who. I, you know, I, I want to kind of pause right now and I, I want people to understand, um, there will never be a moment that will change your life other than someone coming up perfect stranger coming to tell you that you don't have the life of your child anymore. And that's, that's the moment that she's describing that, that is the ripple effect of, of her life being changed at that moment. I don't, I, I think people kind of underestimate that because I think that's one of the hardest parts that you have to handle, you know, everything else you kind of like, I just kind of remember when the detectives were telling me, hey, I was I was like an hour and a half away from where I had to be for them to tell me. So I had an hour and a half to 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 find out like whether or not they were going to say anything to me. But there will never be a moment like when some a detective comes and tells you that. That's that the the um, loss of your child's life, you know, and I just want to I just want to interject that because I know that that's that's when you don't become crystal anymore. It's it literally changes every single cell in your body, every aspect of your life. Nothing is the same. Right. Right. Um, so um, go ahead. You can. Uh, I just wanted to to let them know how important that is. That how strong and weak and vulnerable all at the same time that you have to be at that that moment, especially if you yeah. have other people around you especially when you have other people around me. Um, it was a, it was a very strange for first 48 hours. Um, after I had just had major surgery. So I'm, I was still in the process of recovery and having to go into another surgery, not too long after. Um, I, I have a hard time remembering, um, some of the conversations that I had, some of the people that were around us who came around, it's like my mind just draws a blank. I can't remember. I feel like my brain maybe did that to protect me. Right. And you kind of go into autopilot mode. I was not eating. I was not sleeping. Pretty much all I did was cry. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and honestly, tell you the truth, I think that, um, it, I think it's just different for everybody because I, I cried, but I kind of threw myself into, um, an overdrive of my mother. Like I, I just wanted to protect her, you know what I'm saying? So it was like, I didn't want to cry due to the fact where I didn't want to make her even more emotional. Does that make sense? Mm. It absolutely does because my mother and I have a very similar relationship. Um, she has really 
struggled with the loss of my son. Um, so she tries not to break down in front of me because she knows all that's going to do is cause a circle of both of us just being an absolute mess. (laughs) So we stay, we try to stay strong for each other. Um, and then my husband, he is just everybody's rock and I check on him constantly, but men are just, uh, men are a different, a different breed for sure. Um, the way that they process things and the way that we process things. Um, but he has his moments too, you know? Yeah. I think, well, he's entitled, he's, he's entitled to. (laughs) Absolutely. Men need to know that it's okay to not be okay. So after, after the detectives told you, um, and you said that you kind of, the next couple of days were just basically, basically a blur, kind of a blur. Yeah, I remember before the detectives pulled out of the driveway, he handed me a card with a case number on it and basically left us standing in our driveway wondering what had just happened to our lives. Like somebody had just dropped a nuclear bomb in the middle of my driveway. Right. Um, So then we had to... We had to start making calls, but I couldn't figure out who all I needed to call. My brain was everywhere. Um, So luckily our pastor and some of our close family friends came to the house and kind of collected Matt and I together a little bit so we could make some of these decisions that we had to start making. We had no idea about victims' compensation. We had no idea, like, who even thinks about stuff like that at that time I've never dealt with a homicide before especially not this close um I've only known of a couple you know like maybe two other people that have ever been killed and I would have never thought it would have been my child because to know him was to love him he he just had such a light spirit to him even though he had been through some of the worst things you could possibly imagine, he still loved people and he still, you know, he still had a love for life. And the fact that anybody would like do something so vile, so evil to him. You know, this, this, this generation is a little bit detached. They don't value human life. Yeah. They're very detached from, because, you know, I, like I told my mom, it's almost like what they do is they don't really realize you can't come back from that, this, you know what I'm saying? It's not a sorry that you can do or put in place. And you, and once you rip this apart, there is no, the, basically the ripple effect that you cause. It, it never it, stops. It never stops. It never stops. And I, I don't really think that these young people know exactly. You know, I lost my brother basically kind of mentally. I guess he just couldn't handle it. He just checked out. I I don't have that. I don't have that anymore. You know what I'm saying? I and 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 we were close. I don't have that anymore. And they don't realize it, they didn't, they don't just take one thing away from you. They take a string of things away from you. They take not only one of the 
most integral parts of our family, but they take away his future. They take away my future. I'm never going to get to be a grandparent. Right. That hurts. Right. So it's like the momentary, yeah, I was mad at you. So I took your life. They don't stop and think about, okay, well, yeah, you took that life, but what you did, my son's not in pain anymore. That took two seconds. Right. You you transferred that pain onto us and we didn't ask for this. Like nobody asked for this. You didn't do that to my son. You did this to his family. He has siblings that love him that are still here. And how was that? How did, how did that go? They struggle. Yeah. They really do. They struggle. His sister um, the most. Is he the because oldest? They were... No, he was not the oldest. Um, he had an older, he had an older sister and an older brother. And then his younger sister and his younger brother. Um, wow. And it has really, it has really affected the two youngest, um, I believe the most, mm-hmm. um, his older brother, he and I are still very close. Um, and he struggles too, but he's, um, he's also a little bit older, you know, he's soon to be 26. So I think, um, he's just been able to handle it a little easier than the other two. Is it important for you to try to step in and and be there for them with this situation right here? I try as best I can, um, you know, because I still struggle too. Right. Um, But remaining close with especially his older brother is important to me because he and I did have a, a very close relationship prior to us losing him. Um, he was in our house for a period of time for a while. You have a big heart. (sighs) Sometimes (laughs) too big. It'd be a lot easier if I didn't. (laughs) It's it's not a such thing as that. You know, I, I, I used to think that myself, but you know what, if without people like you, then Jaquez would never even had had a, a shot at even having a family. He had six years with a beautiful mother and father. And you know what? Most foster kids don't ever get that. You know, I, I know. yeah, sometimes I, I and, and I know I, I could never take away the hurt because I, I can still feel it from you. I can feel your energy through, through this call right now. It just, I can just feel it, you know, but I can also I tell you that myself on camera so that um I keep myself in check <laughs> <laughs> but I can tell you one thing but not just from from this call from when we seen you in Jacksonville by the things that I've seen you do on um on social media you you're you're an unstoppable movement and Jacquez is is the reason the some of the reason behind that and that's like to me it's like y'all you could have took it you can take his body, but his mama was behind to make sure that y'all didn't take him all the way. So, no, no he will leave behind a legacy. I'm going to make sure of that. Right. <clears throat> his legacy will be love. 
um, because that's what he was. Um, how's the how's the the um, Jacksonville police right now in the case? Are they trying to try to figure something out? Do you think that it's going in the direction that you want it to go in? Well, we had a kind of a change a change in direction this week as far as that goes. I have been very patient. I have been very professional with JSO. Um, I guess my detective that's working this case doesn't appreciate the fact that I, I ask for accountability. You tell me certain things and then you don't give me a follow-up and you don't communicate with me. I am going to go above you. Right. I've done it once before. We had to have a sit down with his, his CO. Now he won't even talk to me and I have to go through the lieutenant, oh, no. which is fine because the lieutenant is much easier to deal with. He's okay. already emailed me twice. Okay. So I'm hoping that this shift in this direction um, is a positive one. And I'm going to look at it like that because I don't want to think about right. you know, the thought of a detective working on a case where that he may not care about, not saying that he doesn't care about the case, but it's how you make people feel. Right. Right. You know, um, I, I was looking at some of the articles that you sent 162 murders in Jacksonville in just, um, 2022. That's a, that's an alarming rate. And it keeps getting worse. It keeps getting worse. We've had two, you know, teenagers in the past couple of weeks get shot and killed. And then they're having a vigil for one and a drive-by happens at this vigil. Oh, like wow. what is going on in this, in, in Jacksonville? I don't understand why guns are the first line of defense. It used to be kids would get out in the street and fist fight. Now they don't care about life. They don't care about the consequences of their actions or the ripple effect that it's going to cause to not only the person that they hurt, but their family and their family. They don't, they don't have a thought process when they're, they're doing that. Anybody wants to go visit their child in prison for taking somebody's life. Do you know what that does to a parent? Cause I do. Right. <laughs> I've seen it. I'm watching it every day more and more families enter into this unfortunate community that we all now belong to that none of us want to be in, but we're here. Right. Um, the best we can do is, and, and the most we owe our, like we, the least we owe our kids is to stand up and fight. You know, some people don't have it in them. You know, I've talked to some parents and I, I remember I, I talked to this lady in Alabama. When I first talked to her, I swear, I thought she was going to do something to herself. I literally thought she was going to end up, you know, and I used to call her like just to make sure because, I, you know, you, when you have stuff on your 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 spirit like that, you don't want it to just, you know what I'm saying? And then all of a sudden something's happening and you haven't followed through. So Correct. after she she actually was one of my first interviews that we did on the podcast. And when we got off that podcast, I told her, I said, you know, you love your child. I was like, stop this from happening to anybody else what you're feeling. She is an advocate that's working with um, 
politics now in in Alabama to try to solve because they're I, I guess Alabama's like outrageous now with homicides. So it's it's what what I don't understand is COVID was an epidemic. They shut the country down because there were so many people dying. I just don't understand how this is not considered the same thing. There has to be something that's saying, hey, these are, um, we were looking at Detroit. My, my husband's from Detroit. Detroit last year was at 306 people, just that city alone. That's a, that's a murder. That's almost a murder a day. Jacksonville currently has over 1,600 unsolved homicides. Wow. And when you stop and think that your child or your loved one is in the middle of that 1,600, it's not a good feeling. Tell me about it. It's not. And then you have families out here who aren't strong enough to stand up and fight, who aren't strong enough to use their they're paying for a purpose and it just consumes them. Yeah. And I see that every day too. Um, and that's why I feel so strongly about, you know, why I started the Jacksonville survivors foundation. Um, everything we do. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about it. Everything we do doesn't have to be sad or mourning based. Um, Mm -hmm. we at some point have to learn to take our lives back We have to learn how to not feel guilty for having a smile on our face, for not feeling guilty to find joy again. Like that's a hard thing, especially when you're in a really dark place to think that you can, you can come from a really dark place to, to smile again. Our kids, our loved ones would not want us grieving to death. We don't need to die with our dead. Yeah. And it takes, it, it, you know, it takes, it's not a time frame for just anybody. I mean, you just got to see where, where the journey kind of takes you. Sometimes I was telling my husband the other day, I cannot see a, a child on a bicycle, a, a little boy on a bicycle. It just drives me absolutely crazy where I sometimes I just have to pull over to the side of the road. Like, and and there's so many different things that can trigger it to make you go right back to, you, you know, you've been on fought your way out of it. And then all of a sudden it seems like it's grabbed you right back to that moment again. You feel like you're back to square one and yeah. you have to start all over the grieving process again. And that's something that I've learned with lots and lots and lots of therapy over the past 951 days. Um grief comes in waves and it's not ever going to go away. We just have to learn how to cope with it. We have to learn how to carry the heaviness of this burden that we now carry um, Mm -hmm. because it's not, it's going to be with us for the rest of our lives. It changes who you are to your core. Yeah, it does. What are the, what are some of the resources that you guys provide in Jacksonville um, to other homicide um so we we do a lot of peer-to-peer support um because I am pretty active in the community I know lots moms and I find each other um we do different events in the community uh right now 
we have a yoga group. We have a book club. Um, I do a monthly vigil. Like I said, I don't want everything to be based around our grief. We need to start celebrating some life too and learning how to have fun again. Um, we're going to be going to some sporting events this summer. Um, I hope to get some Jags tickets. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I want to see people smiling again. And living. And living. We have to live the lives that we wanted our kids to live. <laughs> we have to do the things that, you know, they dreamed about. We have to do, we have to honor their lives and not just mourn their deaths. How important do you think therapy is? Uh, besides my relationship with God, therapy is probably the only thing that has helped me get through this. And I didn't realize at first that I needed therapy. I just thought I was, this was normal just to sit on my back patio and listen to sad music and cry all day. Like I thought that was just a normal part of grieving, but I did it for months. Mm -hmm. Um, So when I finally got to the point where I was like, something's not right with me. (laughs) Um, I actually reached out and luckily um, victims compensation helped me pay for therapy uh, from myself and my husband for the first year. And then we continued going to therapy after that. And I continue to go to therapy today. Um, It's a, it's an ongoing thing and it will forever be an ongoing thing um, because like grief is like a wave it ebbs and flows. And um, I will say that I'm very proud that I have recently graduated from grief therapy Um, because I have learned how to use the tools that my therapist gave me to cope. Um, I know the difference between, because I also have PTSD. Mm -hmm. Um, I know the difference between grief and anxiety and panic. Um, So that was really important. But without my therapist, I wouldn't be able to do the things that I'm able to do today. So if you had one thing that you could say to other mothers, first of all, if there was one more thing that you could say to Jacquez, what would that, what would that be? I'm glad I got to be your mom. Sorry. No, I'm totally fine. I think if he could say something to you, he would probably say something of the same effect of him being, it was an honor being your son. (laughs) He liked to brag on me and his dad a lot because (laughs) he, um, he was just, he was so full of love. So if you had a chance, I I always ask before we wrap up everything, um, there's women that's out there that's going through the same thing that you are, or not just women, fathers, aunts, uncles, all family members, period. Um, I always think that that, that we have a way to encourage them and inspire them. If there was something that you could say to them to keep them going just one more day, what would that be? There is hope. 
and don't push each other away because you need your family. You need your support system walking this journey. You cannot do it by yourself if you're not in therapy. Um, that's something you're going to have to look inside yourself. You know, not everybody's ready for therapy at the same time. Uh, but I encourage you seek therapy and hold on to your family. Crystal, I thank you for being here with us today. And thank you for sharing your class's um, story. I think that he's going to help many, many people because he has a fighting mother. And that, that really is important for them to at least have someone that's not going to give up. A lot of those homicide victims that's in Jacksonville right now, their parents really don't know what to do. They think that it's just, it, it's really crazy because in our communities now, it's almost becoming acceptable that this happens. And that's not okay. Yeah, that shouldn't be a thought process. That shouldn't be a thought process. If we put all 1,600 of those family members together, that's a force to be reckoned with, you know? Our children have the right to live. Our loved ones have a right to live. Nobody has the right to take their lives. So this is Tawana Span with Missing Our Voices. This is the story of Jaquez Anledge and his mother, Crystal. We thank you so much for coming. Um, and please tune in for our next stories that, that are going to come. Thank you.